If you take this sermon to heart, if you take this sermon to heart, it could add a spring to your step and years to your life. (laughs) And I do mean this literally. Let's come before God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in our midst and for the joy to be near you. Now come and open our minds and our hearts and speak to us afresh. I implore you as your servant in Jesus' name. I'm going to encourage you all to turn to a text that has become an old friend for me and I think for many of you as well. Philippians chapter 4. Perhaps a text that many of you have already committed to memory. And we're actually going to start reading from verse 4. From verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. What's that word, folks? Rejoice. In my Bible, there's an exclamation point after that. How about yours? I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. About anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there be anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you, will be with you. I really could just, if you heard this, and if it made its way into your soul, I could just close our Bibles and we could just go off and have coffee. but I'm not going to let you off. The Holy Spirit's not going to let you off that easy. I don't think it's a shock to say this. The last six months have been hard. They've been hard. People, am I, am I shocking anybody? This has been a hard season. 
as a body, as a planet, really, we've faced a global pandemic that has closed schools, that closed churches. We would come here week after week, just a handful of us all by our lonesome, looking out at a great gathering of saints on cyberspace. But in this place, you know, just, we just had it to ourselves because of a global pandemic. And we've seen images of cities on fire, convulsed by racial unrest. You know, even now, with schools attempting to reopen after being closed for months over the pandemic, Marina and I have witnessed experienced teachers, private school teachers, public school teachers, more than one, literally burst into tears, burst into tears in prep Zoom calls over the unspeakable pressure of what it requires. It's a big job, it's a big lift to reopen schools that have been closed for months. And this is where I, I, I will confess that there have been mornings at my time alone with God where I could not hold back the tears. Something tells me I'm not alone here in these last six weeks. This is where it gets better. Throughout this time, I've heard Pastor Roberto at one time or another draw from this passage of Scripture seasoning his sermons with one portion or another of this word. Do not be anxious for anything. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard you. And in this season, the Holy Spirit moved me to finally commit this text to memory. Turn it into a breath prayer. And it's become a life preserver for me. For most of you, I'm sure, this sermon is going to serve as a, as a glorified reminder. A little bit like what happened just a minute ago as we went through this text. Amen, glory to God, rejoice in the Lord, Pastor Sam. Yes, I've known this since I was in Awana. I've heard this all my life. Hey, do something for me, please. Right now, ask the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear this word afresh. Press reset and try to listen to this word as if you've never heard it before. Why? Why? Because to rejoice in the Lord, say rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Say it again, say it louder. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is a critical principle of spiritual warfare. It is a principle of spiritual warfare. Most of us, when asked to turn to a scripture denoting spiritual warfare, we'll go to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll go somewhere in Revelations, we'll go to the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. This is not the text you're thinking of when we think of spiritual warfare. But this is a key principle of spiritual warfare and in this season it's the last thing the devil ever wants you to do and I mean to do to do to rejoice in the Lord is something the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do and Satan will do everything he can think of to make sure you never learn to do. To make sure you never discover how to rejoice in the Lord for yourself. What does this mean then, to rejoice in the Lord? Why does it matter? I keep saying to do. You know why? I was an English major. Grammar lesson. To rejoice is a verb. It's a verb. And if it's a verb, if, you know, I'm a little rusty, but if it's a verb, my recollection is that it is something that you are able to do. To do what? To rejoice. To willfully and intentionally rejoice. To willfully and intentionally re-experience joy. To willfully and intentionally recover joy. <laughs> to rejoice is something God has given you the power to do. And not only can you rejoice, but it is imperative that you do it. There's an urgency in Scripture to be intentional about rejoicing, to be aware of it, to be vigilant of it. Do you hear the urgency in this word? Do you hear the word saying, saying please don't miss it? How many times, folks, it's, it, you, it, it's as if... A scriptural caveman came up to us with a two-by-four hitting us over the head. Rejoice in the Lord. Hey, I'll say it again. Colon, rejoice! Exclamation point. I love it in Spanish. In Spanish, this thing has three exclamation points. That's how they write. All right, two up front, one at the end, Regosi House. Rejoice. You get the picture. It's all over this letter. In the, in the first chapter, Paul writes, we don't, you, you, you get this. In the first chapter, you hear him saying, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. In chapter 2, uh, verse 17, he says, I'm glad. 
and rejoice with all of you so that you too, sh you too should be glad and rejoice. That's chapter 2 of Philippians. In the previous chapter, chapter 3, he begins that chapter, verse 1, with this. Further, brothers and sisters... Sounds, you know, it, this is one letter. For, there you go. Further, brothers and sisters. What? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes further. He says, it's no trouble for me. No skin off my nose. No burden for me to write the same things to you again. To write it to you over and again because it is a safeguard for you. It is a fortress for you. It is a weapon for you. It is a shield for you. It is a strategy of battle for you. What is this thing? To rejoice in the Lord. I'll tell you what it isn't. And already you may have guessed. It is not, and this is the problem, let's undo a definition. It's not a fleeting emotion. What we usually think of when we think of joy. It's not just a sense of being happy, a response. And that's, that's wonderful, that's fine. A response to a moment of bliss, praise the Lord, or of triumph, or of victory, of health and prosperity. The feeling that we have in those golden moments. When was the last time you felt that way? At a birthday party or when your kid hits a homer or at a, at a wedding of a friend, even if it's by a zoo, where you've laughed until you've cried. We love that. But somehow, to rejoice in the Lord is to recover that feeling in moments of uncertainty. In moments of trial, in moments of anguish, in moments of peril and danger, the word says, rejoice in the Lord always. To rejoice in the Lord, here's Pastor Sam's annotated commentary and definition to rejoice in the Lord for this morning is the state of being conscious of the Lord's presence it is the state of being conscious of his shalom to rejoice in the Lord is the state of being conscious in the, of the Lord's nearness, his presence. It is the state of being conscious of his shalom. Verse 5 of Philippians 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. 
people of God, the Lord is near. How do you feel when you know that? How do you feel when you're aware of that? What goes through your heart and through your mind when you know that you know that the Lord is near with his eyes of fire, with demons falling at his feet, trembling, with his voice of many waters declaring his his holy name, I am. As demons tremble, as angels hide their eyes, I am. I am here. I am. I am. I am your shepherd. I am. I am your healer. I am. I am your comforter. I am. I am the triumph over death. I am. I am your protector against devil and hell and all works of darkness. I am the light that illuminates any darkness. I am the hand that pulls you out of the water. I am the one who accompanied you in the fire. I am here, says the Lord your God. How does that make you feel? What does that do to your heart? To rejoice in the Lord is to recover the consciousness that God is with you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? The joy of the Lord, declares Nehemiah, is your strength. Do you see why the joy of the Lord, why your capacity to rejoice in the Lord is such a huge target of the enemy? The enemy knows that if he neutralizes your joy, if he cancels out your consciousness that the Lord is near you, he's more than halfway to knocking you out of the scene. He knows this. Newsflash. Beautiful saints of God. It's entirely possible that you can go on obeying the Lord. It's entirely possible that you can go on living for Christ, quote unquote. And working for the kingdom, quote unquote. But all the while, do it joylessly. Joylessly. You know folk like that? What does that mean? To, for that to happen, think about this. That means that along the way, you've lost a consciousness that the Lord is near you. How could you be joyless and at the same time envision the risen Christ sitting next to you? 
with his arm around you. I don't think that's possible. Along the way, you lost. This isn't a judgment. This is a diagnosis. We're going to fix this this morning in Jesus' name. But along the way, you've lost the consciousness that the Lord is near you, that he is with you, that he is for you, that he's in your corner protecting you, making a way for you. So you can profess Christ and his power. But all the while, you're on edge, right? Or on your own. And because in your heart, you're on your own, you can never relax. You can never, you can't afford to breathe easy. You're always, right? <laughs> A guitar string. And what this does, it deepens your loneliness. And then it deepens your joylessness, creating a, a downward spiral of joylessness until you crash. Until you crash. Which is where all downward spirals end up. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You want to know something? You can't hide this. It may be in your heart and invisible. But the joy or joylessness within you is evident. It's evident. How does this chapter begin? Verse 2. Paul writes, I plead with Eudoia. And I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. All right. Let's revisit Philippi. This chapter and perhaps much of this letter have been inspired by a couple of ladies having a doozy of a church fight. <laughs> a doozy. Over what? No one remembers. Nobody cares. But what we do know about these saints. What we do know is that there's no question, think of this, there's no question that these ladies work arduously for the kingdom. They're gifted. They're valuable. No less than the Apostle Paul writes, these women contended at my side at the cause of the gospel. But they're joyless. And they're in trouble. So they're being told to rejoice by a guy in jail. They're being told to rejoice by someone writing from prison. You know why? You see this contrast? You see this contrast? Even in jail, Paul exuded the joy of the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord doesn't depend on your circumstances. To rejoice in the Lord doesn't depend on the 360 around you. Even in jail, Paul exuded joy. People came to him. 
not to console him, but to rub off on his joy. To rub off on this thing that he had in abundance. You know, from jail, he's encouraging others. How does he do that? How does Paul do that? Haven't you known people like this? Saints. I've known saints who've lost everything. Their jobs, their homes, their health, their family. Like Job, teetering near death. But wouldn't you know that they're actually more joyful than before? Known anybody like that? They're the ones, you go visit them at the hospital. You go visit them at the hospice. And they're the ones comforting you. (laughs) They're the ones encouraging you, filling you with joy just to be around them. Heck, some of these folk can't even talk anymore. But it's something about being near their bedside that fills you with joy. Have you known anyone like that? That gives you joy just to be around them. How do you do it, you ask them. And they say, well, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. I haven't lost him. And because I haven't lost him, you see, I haven't lost anything that really matters. Like my wife's mom and the pastor's mom, Donita. I had the privilege of living with her in the last years of her life. I live with the regret of not taking more advantage of that time and learning more from her. But I can tell you that she incarnated this text to rejoice in the Lord. Always. For years, Hermana Toñita was the victim of a maddening nerve disease causing constant, chronic, excruciating pain. Ultimately, she lost an eye to it. And there were other good reasons she had for heartache or for bitterness. But instead, She lived in an almost constant equanimity. People called her every day. All kinds of people. Sustained by her wisdom. Comforted by her joy. How did she do it? This is how. Pay attention. She lived a lifestyle. Say a lifestyle. lifestyle. Say a lifestyle. She lived a lifestyle of rejoicing in the Lord. A lifestyle of rejoicing in the Lord. And so can you. This is what Paul in this passage is taking such pains to convey. First... If you're committed to this lifestyle, number one, be aware of the antithesis of joy. Watch out for anxiety. Watch out for anxiety. 
Anxiety is the opposite of the joy of the Lord. It is the default. You don't have to work at being anxious. You just need to get up in the morning. Turn on your iPhone. Watch a couple of YouTube videos or whatever's being, you know, whatever bilge is being fed to you. You don't have to work at it. It's where you go automatically without joy. When we do not rejoice in the Lord, this anxiety is what will fill the void. Do not worry about your life. Jesus implores us in the Sermon on the Mount. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Actually, the opposite. Did you know this? Besides everything else we've said here, over time, anxiety will literally take years from your life. Are you aware of that? Is there a doctor in the house? It'll take years from your life. Anxiety has been linked to hypertension, heart disease, a compromised immune system, even cancer. You don't want it. Combat it. Get it out of your life. Mind if I share a recent testimony? Last week, I had a conversation with my sister, Rachel, who has battled Crohn's disease. Y'all familiar with this? It's a chronic, painful, abdominal disease most of her life. Sammy, she tells me, you know there's no cure for Crohn's. But at a recent visit to her gastroenterologist, he came back with astonishing news as he shared the results of her MRI. He's not a Christian. It's gone, he says. It's gone. I, I see no evidence of Crohn's. Crohn's, folks, it doesn't just go away. So he ordered a second opinion, but the second opinion confirmed Rachel's Crohn's was gone. Praise the Lord. Is this a miracle? Yes. Bless God. But you know what? Rachel, Rachel and the Lord, they had a hand in this. And Rachel tells me, Rachel explains, Sammy, this just worked me over. I just decided to stop worrying. I just decided to stop worrying and to trust the Lord. Now, Rachel... We've been, she's been a Christian. She's grown up in the church. She's, she's professed Christ most of her life. Rachel has known the gospel. She's known the word. She's had a relationship with God. But she made a decision to put the word, drum roll, into practice. And actually make an effort to rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Not just for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, or whenever you can make it to church on, you know, whenever. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In everything. Are you prepared like Rachel today? Are you prepared to embrace a lifestyle, a way of living, creating the conditions. This is what you want to do. 
In Jesus' name, man. My prayer this morning is that someone is actually putting into practice and it changes your life. What you're doing is you're creating the conditions to banish anxiety and to, and, and, and to bring about the joy of the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord. Not a thing that we do when we're stirred, that's, we're stirred to do this from time to time. It's how we live. As if our life depended on it. Now we don't have time to dive into each of these practices with that in depth. That would this would this is stuff for a sermon series. But you know, I don't you know I don't need to. This is just a cursory reminder of things. Praise God, you already know how to do. You already know you ought to do. You know how to do these things. You know you ought to do these things. People of God, I'm telling you, in September of 2020, if you don't have a regular practice of prayer, of petition, and of thanksgiving, this is the time to start. This is the time to get busy doing this. If we ever had one. By prayer and petition, present your request to God. Let's just look at this a little bit. Paul distinguishes. You've noticed these, these words are there for a reason. He distinguishes between prayer and petition. And it's a distinction with a difference. The word for that phrase, by prayer, prosaike, prosaike, almost exclusively refers to the human dialogue, the human communication with God, and everything that involves. It encompasses all that, that, that transpires when created beings have access to their creator. If to rejoice in the Lord is to be mindful that the Lord is near, through proseike, through prayer, we draw near to God. So, Pastor Sam, I've lost the consciousness, that feeling that you say, I, I know that the Lord is near. Uh, half the time, I, I, but I don't sense it. I don't feel that he's near. Well, fine. Take some time apart for some prosaeke of your own. Draw near to him. This encompasses all that we do in prayer through worship, through, uh, through, through praise. As we were doing a moment ago, did you how many of y'all felt something Amen. in this place? Felt something. Felt something in this house a moment ago as we were praying, as the worship team was praising the Lord. You know why? When we worship, we praise God for being God. But something legal happens. We remind ourselves, and not only ourselves, we remind the devil. We remind the enemy of our souls who he is. His grandeur, 
his victory over death and hell, his sovereignty over all that ever was and ever will be. And you go on, you go on in the, in the chamber room of prayer into confession. Don't be afraid of that word. It's a beautiful thing. It's a gift of God because through confession, we admit what you already know. We admit our fallenness. And it's a place where we take the shower of God. We, take, we rid ourselves of sin and of everything that comes between us and a holy God. Praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. With the blood of Jesus Christ, it gives us access to his mercy seat. It ushers us into the presence of a holy God. You're in. You're in the room. The angels have ushered you into the throne room. They're pointing the way to the mercy seat. Come right in. And once you're there, you ask. We ask. Paul uses a distinct word for petition. Petition, deesis. This is the kind of request of someone who makes, someone makes of his sovereign or his king or his God. It's the word they use for someone with the authority to hear his cause and grant his request. But this is a king that knows you. A king who knows you, a king who knows your requests and loves you. You're not an orphan. We're not orphans. We're not orphans. Present your requests. Come before him. Intercede for those you love. Empty out your heart of your burdens. Come and lay them before the feet of the one who made you and knows you better than yourself. And do this with thanksgiving. For me, this is an essential practice. You know, every morning, it, every morning, recalling what God has done for me the day before. Every evening, as I, as I nurse the scars of the day, how many of y'all do that? As I nurse the scars of the day, recalling all the ways that I saw God's hand that day. It doesn't have to be huge. The phone call, the parking space, just the right place. Thank God they still had almond milk, Lord, in the, in the produce aisle. The meal I prepared that I didn't burn. What am I doing? Sounds silly, but really, do it. You know what you're doing? You're tracing the fingerprints of God. You're tracing the fingerprints 
of God on your life. Revealing the evidence of God's visitation. Reliving the evidence of God's nearness. And it gives the lie to the devil. You could turn to the devil and you could say, devil, God does love me. Devil, God is near me. Devil, he has not abandoned me. You're a liar. And just as you do that, something beautiful happens. Because I'm going to invite you to come on up. Something beautiful happens. You've done it. You've come before the Lord's presence with an offering of praise and worship. Every burden you could think of, you left at the feet of Yeshua. You bring to memory all the ways that he has been with you. What's left to do? And the peace of God at that moment just washes over you. It just washes over you. It's the peace of God which transcends all understanding. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. Don't pass up on this phrase. We'll go back to it. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that you can't, a peace that transcends understanding. What do we mean by that? Because this is what you are seeking in this house this morning. We haven't talked. I know some of you, most of y'all I don't. I could pretty much tell you with certainty this is what you're looking for. This is what you want from God. This is what you want from his presence. This is what the world is longing for. The peace that passes all understanding, his shalom. It's not an escape. This is the difference. What do we mean by the peace of, that passes all understanding? It's not a drug. It's not some fling where you go off for a while, a, a sexual adventure, or, or a drug, or an alcohol binge, or even a fabulous vacation, which is fine. But when you come back, when you come out of your escape, when you come down from it and open your eyes, there's your world again, huh? There are your problems where you left them, maybe worse than you left them. But with the peace that passes all understanding, you, this has happened to me. I pray that y'all have testimonies like this. You're fully aware. You know what's up. With the peace that passes all understanding, you're fully aware of the world around you. You're fully aware of your challenges. 
Ma'am, are you okay? Sir? Are, 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 you, are you okay? Yes. Yes, I heard the diagnosis. Yes. I read the spreadsheet. Yes. I know he walked out on me and on his children. Yes. I know I, I just lost my job and I don't know where the rent is coming from. Of course. I know. Of course I'm concerned. But I feel peace. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I can't explain to you how. But I'm not worried. Has that ever been you? You know. There's a fire around you. This is a beautiful, there's a beautiful Hillsong song that I've been hearing, or Bethel, I'm not sure where those folks have been hearing the Bethel radio. There's another in the fire standing next to me. <laughs> there's another in the fire there with you. The good shepherd has prepared before you a table in the presence of enemies staring down at you. But you're eating in peace. He stands there with his rod, with his staff, with his eyes, and says, you eat. I've got my eye on y'all. This became a prayer for me during the pandemic. Lord, guard my heart my emotions, guard my mind. But folks, the Holy Spirit reminded me of an enemy eager to infiltrate my mind and heart. And this is these last couple verses. Be aware of the barrage of tweets and video, YouTube videos and the voices of doom. Don't let just anything into your mind. This peace protected this peace, value it. Cling to whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is, is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. Cling to that. We're going to conclude with verse 9. Whatever you've learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me. Do what now? Put it into practice. The word doesn't get more practical than this. Put it into practice and what? Put this into practice and then as a consequence, the God of peace will be with you. He's thrown you the keys. He's given you the authority. He has empowered you. This is a wonderful word, glory to God, but it's useless unless and until you put it into practice. Unless you determine to actively, intentionally rejoice in the Lord, declaring that the devil can't just waltz into your life 
and steal the joy of your salvation. Not you, not anymore. Not you, not anymore. But you've got to do it. Bow your heads for a moment. Lord, I ask more than anything else that you create an addiction in this house for your shalom. That you create a taste of the wonder that is the presence of the living God. I ask, dear God, that you awaken every mind, that you awaken every heart, that the eyes of our hearts may be opened. I ask, dear Lord Jesus, that as you did for the servant of Elisha, that you may open eyes in this sanctuary now, that they may see your nearness that they may see the chariots of fire of the angels on the hills, that they may see the Lord with the living God, just as John saw him in the revelation at Patmos, that they may see the God with, with, with eyes of fire and with the voice of many waters and uh, ruling all authority, and he claims you as your own. And know that he will never, I said, he says, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, even to the end of the world. That includes COVID. That includes all the craziness. That includes everything hell. Hell has not invented anything that can separate me from you. Now walk in that consciousness. Walk in that confidence. Walk in that joy, in Jesus' name.